Barbie part three. I thought I would just do a quickie, but you know, I guess how can you talk about almost 13 years of the life of somebody you love in just a couple of minutes? It doesn't work that way. And Arby, you know, I just spent so much time, I have spent so much time in my life thinking about and talking about and debating and meditating on what's better, a slow death or a quick death. I've always had quick deaths in my life. My dad, accidents, my last dog, Felix, died of either a massive heart attack or an aneurysm or something, something while I was walking him. And yes, that was horrible because I saw him die fairly quickly and I heard him howl. It was this howl from his soul. He was part coyote, I'm pretty sure, but we're not talking about him. And yes, I, I got him in the desert, so who knows? He could be a coyote. He threw up a tamale the first day I got him <laughs> from the street on this, this Mexican kid. All right, we're not talking about Felix. I'm not going to sit here and talk about every dog I've ever had and every pet I've ever had and every turtle and every fish and my guinea pig, Jenny, who I gave her a bath and I guess I didn't dry her and I don't think you're supposed to give guinea, guinea pigs baths and she's dead the next morning or in a couple days and I was very young and my mom goes she died of pneumonia God. anyway quick death versus slow death this was my first experience with a slow death almost like a hospice type of death because my house did turn into a hospice I don't know what's better honestly they both suck because in the end the person you love is dead they're gone is it better to spend a really long time saying goodbye? I don't know. Ask that to my husband who had to watch for years as a kid while his mother died of a brain tumor and cancer that metatarsized her entire body. He might tell you it would have been better quicker. He says he wished that she would have died more quickly. Uh, other times, I mean, with people in my family, dogs, dad, you know, it just, I guess I was sort of glad it was over, but then I didn't have any time to deal with it or say goodbye to the person or that's it. They both, frankly, suck. But this was a good experience for me to just really look at and accept the degeneration of a dog that I loved, of, of a being that I loved. And am I a better person for it? Did it make me more mature? I don't know. I guess it made me more mature. It gave me that experience that I never had before. And it gave me time with him, just so many selfless things. I'm the most narcissistic person in the world, but I probably treat my dogs better than I treat my husband. And there were times when he had fevers and nothing that I gave him just wouldn't go down and I did what the vet told me I would just take uh, alcohol on a towel 
I just pat his paws with it to help cool him off. And I put ice packs on his tummy. And sometimes I do that most of the whole night. I woke up. I just knew when he would, when he would get a fever. I woke up in the middle of the night. I just knew. It was just a feeling. I don't know if it's a woman thing or whatever, but I just always knew when any of my dogs or anyone I was staying with or my nephew when I was babysitting or Dave or something, I just always got up because I felt that something was wrong. And I guess you want to hear more details about the death. Okay, great. I'll set it up for you. I went away to D.C. Annapolis, Annapolis for 10 days to hang out with my family. And Dave, my husband, bitched like he always does because he said, well, I have to put so much time into the dogs and, you know, Arby's full time. And then Jingo, my shepherd, who my sister says is, quote, terrier-like, hyper. She is. She's, she needs a full-time camp or something. But... He would always bitch about how much time it took. And I guess before I'd always relish it. And I go, say, do you see what I'm doing? You don't understand because I get up so much earlier than you. And you don't know that it takes an hour or two to take care of the dogs. And then it would take more and more time to take care of Arby and to nurse him. There's a lot of stuff to do in the morning. And I had to get him up. I had to feed him. I had to try to make sure that he'd make a poo. I'd clean him. I'd clean the bed. I'd clean up his accidents, which became more and more frequent. And mostly he'd just sort of shit on his bed or, you know, he would try to just poo on his own and then he would fall into his own shit. And then I'd have to wash him. I'd have to wash the floor or the concrete outside because it sinks in. And one of the things that my husband came up with this, I got to give him credit for this. This is how Arby sort of started with his degenerative condition he started getting what Dave calls pea foot and Arby had been unable to lift his leg for so long and always peed on his right foot and instead of tracking pee into the house which I guess before I thought of this I he just did we kept buckets of water in the front and back doors and we poured some on his paw his right paw or whatever it was right before he'd go back in. And I didn't even care if the floor was wet at long, as long as it didn't have urine on it. And later on, Arby just, it was just so hard for him to walk that he just said, fuck it. And he didn't even wait till he was off the concrete to pee or poo or anything like that. And we just had to take all that precious desert water and the buckets and everything. And I just remember just scrubbing it up because let me tell you, you know, urine I don't really care that much about, but... If somebody's taking a shit, it just sinks. Any liquid that's in there, even if it's something that's fairly sort of half solid, immediately, concrete is so porous, it goes right in there, right in there. Well, when I got back, he went downhill really, really fast. I mean, my husband called me the last few days, actually, and said that Arby's really having a hard time walking, but I was in semi-denial about that. I didn't know how bad it was. It was almost like he just held himself together until I got home, or he tried. And he did his best. And yeah, I feel really bad about that. I, I thought about it before I left. I thought, what if he dies while I'm gone? How am I going to handle that? How's Dave going to handle it? 
Jingo has, uh, what the hell is that called? Um, when you just, some, I'm having like my juvenile Alzheimer's. She has uh, separation anxiety. So she's going to, look, the whole fucking family's neurotic, okay? Wouldn't you imagine my dog to be neurotic? Except Arby wasn't. See, that's the thing. Arby wasn't neurotic. And that's why I loved him. That's why he was just such a rock for me in so many ways. He wouldn't be yappy and yappy like Jingle and everything. No, he was quiet until I needed to bark. So I got home on Friday. By Saturday, Arby started having fevers and they just wouldn't go down. His temperature was high. I gave him medications and it didn't work. And he could only walk a few steps without knuckling under, which is where his, that's where their paw just right at the first joint of the paw just goes under and they can't move it and they can't walk they can't feel it that's actually the first time sign of this degenerative myelopathy they just can't feel the damn thing so you don't even know it's that way that's one of the tests is if you if you push a dog at his uh, his first joint on his back foot and you push it under and he doesn't write it immediately you know that there's a problem and he, cause he can't feel it. So he just, he just totally was falling apart. You know, he couldn't for the longest time, he couldn't wag his tail, but he just couldn't do anything those last few days. He couldn't even feel when he had to pee the last few days of his life. I l- look, you know, this isn't pretty. This is what happens when you're giving hospice care. I literally had to dig his shit out of his ass because he couldn't even feel. He didn't even have, not that he didn't have control, but he, could, he didn't even have the, the peristaltic action or whatever that's called of the muscles there to sort of push it out. He couldn't feel his sphincter muscles. So I took him in to the vet. I said, okay, I'm going to try to at least do something here. Oh, he also had this sore on his hip, like a bed sore, and it turned necrotic. I didn't, I didn't even see that until the day that I brought him in to be put down. It was turning black. It just, oh, God, it was just gross. And I just felt so horrible. I just wondered if it hurt. So his last chance, and I knew it was his last chance. When he was at the vets, his temperature was really high. And... So I took him in, and they tried to give him, uh, put in an IV, and his veins were the size of an emaciated cat. That's what they told me. That's the size catheter that they had to use for him. It took them eight or nine times, the poor guy. He just sits there, though. He always did. My vet jokes that you could give that dog open-heart surgery without anesthetic, and he would just sit there and not do anything. You could do anything to that dog. It didn't even bother him. But I could just tell he was starting to get a little upset. So when they finally got it in and they gave him the IV of the liquids and then they gave him a second antibiotic, he was already on this stuff called Beatril that is incredibly expensive. It's the big guns for animals. I mean, it's it. It's either wide spectrum or it works, whatever. It's like 10 bucks a day for a dog the size of Arby, which means for a horse or something, which they also use it on, it must cost a fortune. But... I decided this was the hardest thing. I decided that I was going to leave the IV in because if the medications didn't work in a couple of days that 
I was going to put him to sleep. I did this. I decided right then and there. I was looking at him panning, and the vet said, "I said, what do you think?" And she said, "He's really sick." I said, "Should I put him to sleep right now?" And I couldn't. I wasn't ready. And she knew it. And she goes, "Look." She goes, "Give him these second antibiotics with the first ones, and you know if they don't work by Tuesday." then, you know, you can talk to your doctor when he's back on Tuesday. She wasn't my regular doctor. So I decided to leave the IV in because I thought if it didn't work on Tuesday, by Tuesday, that I was going to put him down. And it was a weird decision, but it ended up being the right one because I didn't want him to, you know, put him to sleep. And I'm upset and he's upset and we're sitting there in the death room and they're vainly, vainly trying to get through his veins and he keeps trying and trying and trying. He'll be upset. I'll be upset. That would not be a good scene. But in order to leave the IV in, I, I said I have to flush it three times a day with heparin. It's this anti-clotting agent. And every time I would do that, I felt that I was somehow complicit in his death, that I was helping him die. Not in a good way. It freaked me out. And if you want to know, maybe you're like me and you never had to put a dog to sleep before or they, you know, everybody hopes that they're going to die quietly at night. I'll tell you what it was like for me the last couple of months and especially that last week. He was panting all the time. I don't know. My vet told me older dogs pant, but he just had fevers that just wouldn't go away. And I was just constantly checking up on him. I'm hypervigilant and paranoid anyway. But no matter what I was doing, I couldn't get anything done. I was working at home, but I just kept checking up on him every couple of minutes because I thought he was going to die. And his nursing room was his tarp in our bedroom with a cheap Mexican blanket over it. And I put water there. He loved this metal bowl because it kept it really cold. And I kept getting him water because he couldn't get up. And I just don't even think he knew when he needed to drink. And every hour, every 15 minutes, I'd be taking his temp. And I just remember the times that he would sit there. And I'd have to put my glasses on because, yes, my eyes are getting weak. And I would just... I would do two things I remember whenever I took his temp. I'd either stare at the numbers as they rose up. And I just said, please, God, please, God, don't let it go too high. Don't let it go too high. Or I closed my eyes. And I also prayed that the number that I saw wouldn't be 103, 104, 105, 106. Once it was 107. That was months ago when I rushed him to the vet and they were able to get it down. But that was when he had more strength. And a couple of times that it was 101.5, I was happy. That was normal for him, normal for a dog. And coincidentally, it was also the number of um, a radio station that I used to work at in New Jersey, New Jersey 101.5. So when it was normal, I had some kind of temporary hope. I thought it was okay. I thought everything was cool. 